Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an efficiency? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and you are tuned into the Secret Teachings Radio, airing five nights a week, Monday through Friday, right after Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero on GroundZero.radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email me directly at rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. Whatever you want to send me, please use those two emails. You can also find us on Twitter at tst underscore underscore radio and on Facebook. Just search the show name, which you can also search on any radio or podcast player to listen to the show after it airs. It is free to listen and download. You can also search the secretteachings.info and subscribe to the full archive where you'll get the ad-free version of the show, the non-monetized version of the show. You'll get access to our montages, my digital books, and you'll also get a private RSS feed. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info to subscribe today to support the show. If you don't like using PayPal, we have another option available. It is the Cash app, and you can use the money sign RD Gable to find us on the Cash app. So this show is a little different tonight because I'm recording this early in the morning, Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. By the time you hear this, most of the... Um, Well, we hope most of the ballots have been counted across the United States. Obviously, it's election day. I'm going to go vote as soon as I'm done recording this and putting it into the the export machine so that I can get it ready for the network for tonight. And I'm going to be going and voting and then heading up to Phoenix to a watch party with... uh, well, perhaps the next governor of the Republic of Arizona, she'll be there. And uh, going to go up by myself. Usually don't fit into very conservative events, but I'm going to go up there and try to kind of mingle and meet some people. A few people I know I think are going to be up there. So by the time you're listening to this, I'll be up there in Phoenix. So I wanted to let you know this is pre-recorded very early in the morning. And obviously today's election day, but today's also something else that we've already seen this a few hours ago. You might not have even recognized it because you were probably sleeping. But today, there was a blood moon. A blood moon and the longest and final lunar eclipse of the year. Now, I did not get a chance to see it because I stay up and I go to sleep around uh, a little bit around the time of, of, of when this occurred. Pacific time, 3.42 a.m., so I was very fast asleep at 3.42 a.m., did still have to get up pretty, I should have, I should have gotten up and seen it, but I had to get up uh, early to get the show ready and to go vo- and go vote this morning after the show's done. 3.42 a.m., November 8th, uh, and that is the blood moon. Obviously, when there's a blood moon, there's always concerns that some people have that there are bad things that are going to happen, that this is a portent, that this is a sign of something cataclysmic. And, of course, we don't really see those kinds of events happening 
in the sense that we're not seeing giant earthquakes and giant floods and giant meteors striking the earth. Those things happen. And of course, our ancestors saw these types of events as sacred to the point where a lot of civilizations actually were able to map to a very, very specific degree the equinoxes, the solstices, and eclipses. The Maya probably are the most well-known civilization to have had an obsession with mapping the heavens. And not only an obsession, you can be obsessed with something and not be very good at it, but the Maya people knew a lot of things that we just now today are figuring out. And their calendar system was arguably more precise than anything that Western civilization had um, just a few hundred years ago. Uh, during the uh, 15, 16, 1700s, the, the Maya knew uh, things long before that, which were to a degree of accuracy well, more accurate than Western civilization uh, and uh, well, what we would consider to be um, advanced society today. There are some things that just don't make any sense about the Mayan culture. They always get credited with the calendar system, but truth be told, they basically inherited that calendar system from a long-lost civilization that we know virtually nothing about. That is the Olmecs. The Olmecs are famous for their very large stone, multi-ton, 10 to 30 tons each, heads that seem to depict Negroid humans. And there are also Caucasian humans depicted, very similar to what is found in South America with the god Veracocha. And these are in Central America and the Olmecs. We call them the Olmecs. We know virtually nothing about them, language, society. We just knew they carved these large heads they seem to have had interaction with both Caucasians and Africans. The Phoenician theory of bringing slaves, because the Phoenicians were well known to have sailed the, the, uh, the world to a large extent, um, doesn't necessarily pan out considering that a lot of Phoenician um, artifacts and writing are not found in the areas where there is this Olmec uh, culture remaining. So, Whatever or whoever the Olmecs were and whatever or whoever they got their calendar system from, they passed it on to the Mayans who were obsessed with mapping these kinds of events, blood moons, uh, equinoxes, solstices, you know, uh, making sure that um, the, the, as the Aztecs uh, were obsessed with, uh, that the world wouldn't end. Um, now, we don't know 100% for sure what the Maya believed. We have their sacred text the Popol Vuh, uh, we have, uh, you know, carvings and writings. But much like in Egypt, even though we know some things the Mayans built, there are certain things, again, like the calendar that goes back to the Olmecs and m maybe even before, that we're not exactly sure where it came from and if they developed it, if they tweaked it, or if they simply inherited it. And in Egypt, you can see, even in Giza, the most famous place probably in the world for pyramids, you can see that there are ziggurats that are kind of falling apart today as if they were built by a civilization that had lost knowledge, indicating that they probably didn't build the Pyramid of Khufu, uh, the Great Pyramid, which doesn't really have any hieroglyphics on it at all as far as I understand. I've never been there, but 
Um, although it seems like everybody's going to Egypt today, I mean, like like seven, eight people that I, that I know have gone to Egypt in the last month. I didn't get the memo. I don't have the money either. So uh, Egypt has, you know, these pyramids that are fantastic, but there are also pyramidal structures that are dilapidated, that are falling apart, indicating that they probably were attempting to build what they had inherited with a lack of the know-how of uh, mathematics, science, um, architecture, you name it, to be able to do that. So things like blood moons, you know, they have been seen as portents of, of very bad things, especially for more religious-minded people. If you turn to the book of Joel 2.31, this is the international version, it says that the sun will be turned to darkness. This is something we also hear in Central and South American mythology, particularly in Central American mythology. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So obviously, if you've read anything about the apocalypse or the return of Christ or Armageddon, we know that there is a natural component to this, the four horses, the four seasons. We know that the black horse, the fall of man, weighing the souls like Anubis in the underworld. We know that the black horse is like a Hades. He rides a charcoal black horse. He abducts Persephone. Demeter lets the earth die. That's the winter. The, you know, the fall, the fall of man, the lifting of the veil or the falling of the veil. And, of course, the uh, apocalypse, which is the unveiling. So the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great dreadful day of the Lord. We're always waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for something amazing, something incredible, something historical, something biblical, something Hollywood-esque to happen. But usually what happens is the wheel turns and the seasons change and we sort of miss the whole point of these types of scriptures in my view. The sun will be turned to darkness. This is what happens in the fall and the winter time. The moon turns to blood. Well, that happens in the fall. This is our, our blood moon this morning. In the fall, and then the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, that would be sometime around the winter solstice, which is Yule. So you see that the seasons are incorporated in that verse. The sun will be turned to darkness. This is the fall and the winter when the sun dies and the moon turns to blood. Right now we're seeing the moon turn to blood this morning. And uh, then the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That will be when the sun returns and brings light to the darkness and brings warmth to the cold. And also saves, because of that, mankind from shore destruction and from hell, which is ice. There are also other references in the Bible. Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You can interpret these things in a lot of different ways. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not Christian, not Catholic, but I can read the Bible. And uh, for the record, I'm also not any other denomination. I'm also not an atheist. 
Uh, however, you know, I had someone, I had someone leave me a review on the show uh, on Apple that said he quotes the Bible, but he doesn't know anything about it. It's like, well, okay. Um, I've, I've read it. Um, I'm trying to interpret it in a logical and rational way where it's true, but it's also probably not like literally to be interpreted in some cases. I don't know why people get so upset about the Bible. Muslims don't even get that upset about the Quran that I've known. I don't know what the deal is with that. But Matthew talks about the tribulation. Uh, Mark also talks about the tribulation. It says, Mark 13, 24, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Luke 21, 25, and this just goes on and on. There's so many of these. There will be signs in, in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among the nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the surging of the waves. That's kind of sounds like the ending of the fourth age, whether you're talking to the Mayan mythologists or if you're talking to the uh, mythologists pretty much anywhere in the world, you have flood stories that are, are literally almost countless. Uh, you have, of course, the story of Noah. That's probably the most famous, the most well-known, the story of Noah. But then you also have the story of Gilgamesh, right? You got the story of Gilgamesh and uh, this character, Ut Napishtim, who built a, built a boat because he was informed that the world was going to be flooded. Uh, then the boat came to rest on Mount Nisir. And then he lucid a swallow, a raven, and a dove. I mean, it's the same exact story. Also goes by the name Zisudra or Atrahasis. And then if you look all over the world, you find an Aztec mythology you find in, uh, I mean, the list is literally so long. Um, I'm going to try to name a couple of these off the top of my head. You have uh, the, I think they're called the Chipcas of Central Colombia, Great Flood. You have the Canarians and Indian tribe of Ecuador. Uh, there In Chile, there's a group of Indians that believe the same thing. Uh, the Dakotas, um, uh, the even the Chinese uh, have in their imperial library a whole book vault it's like 4300 volumes or something like that where they talk about the uh, the great deluge uh, the 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 maya spoke about it the karens of burma spoke about it in vietnam malaysia the samoans i mean it's it's just all over the world they talk about the great deluge and the end of the fourth world and the resurrection of the sun in the fifth world the fifth and final world uh, at least this is also um particularly what the, the Mayan believed. Uh, and they had uh, a calendar system to map and to track all this out. It's the start of the fifth age. And, and these vary per culture, but it's a very similar uh, storyline. It is the fifth age in which Quetzalcoatl is basically born or arrives from the, from the ocean. So if you go down to South America... You go to the Andes, you have the capital of Veracocha, this white, European, Caucasian-looking individual at the capital in Tiwanaku. In Central America, it was Quetzalcoatl instead of Veracocha, but they're the same deity, the same character to some extent. It might have been the same person, probably not, but probably somebody that looked very similar. And Quetzalcoatl was birthed out of the fifth resurrection or the fifth sun and he was birthed at Teotihuacan which is very close to Mexico City 
and it's called the City of the Gods. So Viracocha in Central, uh, South America, rather, Quetzalcoatl in Central America, and their two locations, Tiwanaku and Teotihuacan, you have Quetzalcoatl being birthed there, coming out of the sea, out of the ocean in the stories, um, Gulf of Mexico area, somewhere around there. And then you have Veracocha coming from uh, the Pacific. So th- this would be the direction, to some extent, of Rapa Nui, or Easter Island, which is very, 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 very far, so far remote, it's unbelievable, uh, off the coast of Chile. Uh, very, it's not even really off the coast, it's just in the middle of the ocean. And uh, stories of Veracocha uh, coming out of Lake Titicaca, or I should say he came out at Lake Titicaca, brought civilization, and then left to, to the Pacific Ocean. But either way, you have cataclysm and flood, and then you have the rise of Quetzalcoatl in Central America, and then you have a, a massive lake, which, and there's an there's a, 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 a ocean, um, basically a, an ocean library in Lake Titicaca. You've got the seahorse, you've got... Uh, seashells and things there. And and we're talking thousands of feet up in the Andes. And here you have this massive lake between Peru and Bolivia, which is just stunning and incredible. And uh, there's an underwater little city there, basically an old city. Um, And you find uh, things that you would expect to find in the ocean there. It's likely uh, that, you know, this, this area, Tiwanaku was actually more of an island and uh, then the floodwaters, uh, they receded. And out of the floodwaters, just like out of the ocean, out of the Gulf or wherever, here comes Viracocha in the same way that Quetzalcoatl came out of those uh, same types of waters. Now, the reason I bring these characters up, the reason I bring these gods up, and the reason I bring this uh, mythology up, especially in relation to the blood moon, is because today is election day and I find it utterly fascinating how contemporary events seem to politically mirror, and there's going to be more meaning to the mirror here in a second, to mirror ancient mythology wherein there is this endless battle between good and evil, darkness and light. And this endless battle between good and evil, darkness and light, at least according to uh, some traditions, could be summarized by looking at good and evil from a more, let's call it, um, describable or definable manner. For example, Quetzalcoatl, in Central America, he brought with him civilization. For those of you who might not know, he is called the Plumed Serpent. If you go down to South America, Viracocha also brought civilization, also brought all of the things that you might need to survive and to thrive and to do so quite comfortably. Quetzalcoatl in particular, Viracocha as well, taught things like peace and love. Don't sacrifice humans. Sacrifice flowers and insects and birds. 
Manly P. Hall writes about this in The Secret Destiny of America. He talks about how the Maya had a massive period of peace. And um, this period of peace was brought on by the gods that uh, stopped any kind of barbaric practice. And it's interesting because these gods were depicted as white, uh, Caucasian, uh, bushy beards, long flowing white robes, and features that we would consider to be um, not only Caucasian, but, you know, very, very European. And we're talking about hundreds, if not thousands, or tens of thousands for that matter, years before the Knights Templar ever sailed uh, the, the oceans to the extent that they did uh, prior to Columbus. So pre-Columbian, we're talking late 1300s with the Sinclairs and uh, maybe before that, but at least around that, at least 100 years before Columbus, uh, we're talking about the same kinds of um, uh, beings, the same types of characters, etc. So Quetzalcoatl brought these positive, um, civilizing things to the people of Central America Veracocha brought them to the people of South America. Now, here is the, the pivot upon which tonight's show turns. You might not know this if you listen to the show and just assume, but I'm not registered with a political party. I'm an independent. So what I'm about to say has nothing to do with politics at all. But if you've noticed, um, I'm assuming you've noticed, the Democratic Party has been running for the midterm elections on what amounts to human sacrifice, as far as I'm concerned. Aborting a child after they are born, or aborting a child up until the point of, of birth. Can you show me a clip of a politician saying that? Well, it's kind of hard to find one, because none of the Democrats really wanted to, to talk about that. They just wanted to discuss why their opponent was crazy and why their opponent was, oh my God, they're trying to take women's rights away at 15 weeks and playing on people's ignorance of the Dobbs case and uh, the 15 week is arbitrary, but it's part of the case of what the court decided and states' rights and all those things. We're not going to get into that tonight. But the reason I bring this up is because as it is election day and as a lot of people probably go vote just for abortion, it was the counterpart to Quetzalcoatl who brought civilization and love and peace and the end of sacrifice, uh, Veracocha as well. It was his, I guess you could say, evil counterpart, Tezcatlipoca, known as the Smoking Mirror. And his name, part of it, like Tez, Tezcatli or something, or Tezcatl, uh, I think it translates to obsidian. So it's like an obsidian stone, like a, a mirror like a scrying mirror. And Tezcatlipoca had a cult. And the cult was sacrificing humans and sacrificing little babies. And this is precisely what we've seen in the California public school system. They want children to chant the name Tezcatlipoca. Tezcatlipoca, Tezcatlipoca. I don't know if you see the parallel here. But it seems that these ancient mythologies and these deities and characters and archetypes are alive and well everywhere, particularly in American politics. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. A lot more on this after break. You don't want to miss the show tonight. Stay with us.
The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. From Ground Zero to the Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. If you'd like to hear more of the Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable. So if we take a journey down to South and Central America, we find positive cults of Quetzalcoatl under various different names. And uh, we also find Veracocha down in the Andes area, Peru, Bolivia, the Incas. And a lot of the culture, a lot of the, the tradition, the mythology and things like that in the area... They talk about this character, this deity uh, coming out of the waters, coming out of the of the of the of the um, the ocean, or coming out of Lake Titicaca. Very similar to in Central America, Quetzalcoatl comes out of the uh, the Gulf, Gulf of Mexico. So these characters come out of the water. Very similar to Oanus. Uh, pronounce his name Oanus or Owens. And you see all the fish gods and fish characters in Mesopotamia. Uh, You see these um, in Babylonian and Assyrian and Sumerian uh, reliefs and carvings and depictions and in mythology of the Dogon tribe of Mali and their fish gods. And some people might believe this has an alien component, that these are alien gods or something like that. I don't think that's what it is. I think it relates to the esoteric traditions, which are probably missing uh, large pieces of the puzzle, because we're talking about time periods here that 
I mean, we're talking could be tens, could be hundreds of thousands of years. We, we really, I mean, how the Maya were calculating time going back tens or hundreds of millions of years, why they would need to do that. No, nobody knows. So we're not sure how far these things go back, but in the esoteric tradition, it's the idea that man evolved out of the ocean, right? So just like Darwin's theory in part, uh, it is the idea that man evolved, um, well, in part from fish in part from, from fish to monkeys to humans, you know, it's probably not so much the same evolutionary theory of Darwin, but that's kind of the idea that it's not necessarily literal, um, that something came down from the stars or from the heavens or across the waters. And then man came out of the waters. And, uh, what's interesting, what gets confusing is when the, the characters are described as being Caucasian, Quetzalcoatl and Veracocha are described as being Caucasian. They're white with long robes and beards and not common things to, to Indians uh, some have even suggested that the Inca, if you play around with the word, that the Inca were the Canes, Canes, the, not the, the, the Canaanites, um, uh, the followers, uh, the descendants of Cain, like Cain and Abel. So if, I mean, if, and, and it's interesting because, I mean, the Canes, uh, the descendants of Cain, they could not, um, they could not, uh, reportedly grow facial hair, which the Indians cannot do, right? In the same way that uh, we Europeans do. So if you think about the mark of Cain, perhaps the Inca really were uh, the descendants of Cain, Cain and Abel. In the, uh, in the classical biblical narrative, we're talking about two brothers. And this is something that's found all throughout the world as well. So, the point is these these characters that and these these archetypical beings they have a human uh, component to them so there's something that's not necessarily esoteric about it and in coming out of the water and um, being able to bring civilization uh, it's not really discussed or thought about in more contemporary terms that all of these civilizers brought art, mathematics, architecture, agriculture, metallurgy, law, and they also taught peace and love. And they stopped where it did exist, various forms of human sacrifice. And the Aztecs were pretty obsessed with it, but the gods stopped this, or at least the Quetzalcoatl types, the Veracocha types, they also go under different names as well. So basically you have white gods who brought love and peace and harmony to these Indian tribes, to these Indian civilizations in Central and South America and similar stories around the world too. Now, when Cortez, Hernan Cortez came to Central America or Francisco Pizarro came to the Andes they were looked upon as gods because they had a physical appearance that looked very similar to the depictions of Quetzalcoatl in the case of Cortez and in the case of Pizarro. 
Viracocha. And it's these European features that the local Indians saw as a sign of divinity. And they greatly outnumbered uh, the, the Spaniards. They greatly outnumbered uh, the conquistadors, yet they were still defeated. And so historically speaking and statistically speaking and obviously looking at the cultures technologically speaking i mean they didn't have guns but they uh they knew the the land and they knew the um uh the uh the the way of uh civilization and manners that we just don't think was possible because we consider them primitive even though they built things that are more advanced arguably than things we have today so you would think that whether they were in Central or South America, various different tribes, you know, we don't even know if uh, Cortez and people like uh, Pizarro, they, they might have wiped out uh, uncontacted tribes. We, have, we, have, we don't know all the details of it. So whatever, whatever is the case, we do know that uh, they committed mass genocide. There's, there's no doubt about that. And this is, for some strange reason, this is used as a historical marker to scar all European people, like all white people. All they did was kill the Indians and they, they took their land and all this stuff. But the irony of the situation is the only reason they were able to comfortably do that with very little loss of, of, of their own men was because the natives saw them as the return of their gods. And the irony, of course, is the great civilizers of Central and South America taught the exact opposite. They taught the exact opposite of what the conquistadors brought, which was theft and war. And not all, some of them, uh, even some that had participated in the looting and in the, in the, in the genocide, uh, eventually recognized that it was wrong. And they began to collect uh, what are now priceless works of stories and myths and artifacts and things like that to preserve the legacy of, of, of what at the time remained of those cultures, much more at the time than what we have today. But it's also because of Europeans that we have any, you know, remnants of those cultures that we have no idea what happened to the Olmecs that predated the Maya. They could have disappeared. If it, were, if it weren't for the Spaniards, we might not have had anything from South, South and Central America. We just don't know. Different scenarios. You know, but the point is, if we're going to blame Europeans for this, we also have to think and wonder, why is it that they were able to do this so easily? They were able to commit genocide and loot these areas so easily because the native people saw them as their gods. And there's reports that Cortez knew this and played on these religious beliefs in order to gain access to the inner sanctums of these communities to learn where the treasures were, to get access to them, to steal them, and then to, I mean, in some cases, they slaughtered uh, five, 6,000 uh, people at a time. But if they're evil, if they're bad Europeans for doing that, which they are, I mean, the Aztecs sometimes would slaughter, I've read between 10, sometimes 20, 30, there's, there's an account of like 80,000, I don't even know how you get that many people together, 80,000 people slaughtered in a single ritual in the Aztec culture. Now, they, they wanted to prevent the end of the world. That's what they, they believed. At least that's what we think they believe. We don't really know for sure. But that's, that's a lot of people. So whatever the Europeans did, 
that's not good, but you know, the Aztecs did the same exact kind of a thing. It doesn't justify you know, mass murder, but I just personally get tired of Europeans being cast as these villains when in fact it was white people that looked Caucasian that seemed to be European to some extent that brought civilization to these areas anyway, thousands of years in some cases, some stories I should say, before um, uh, uh, Cortez, before Pizarro, before any of this uh, happened with the conquistadors. So is that white people civilized those areas from barbarism. And one of the, the traditions you find consistent throughout that world is love. They brought love with them, teaching them to love their neighbor and to live in peace. And it was after they had left that the human sacrifice in some areas began again, uh, perhaps from confusion, perhaps from people becoming upset, kind of like Akhenaten in Egypt when he abandoned the pantheons, a pantheon of old gods, and everybody worshipped the, uh, the sun instead. So he made it very monotheistic, although as the rays of the sun uh, are emitted, these rays are, of course, uh, extensions of the sun, so they could manifest in various different deities. It's basically a complex um, polytheism, which is reduced in a, in a positive way to a, a very simplistic monotheism, understanding that all the other gods and goddesses are in this one other god, but uh, the story is the priests didn't like that, so they conspired to have Akhenaten killed. And that might have been what happened in some uh, places of, of South America in particular, but Central America as well, that when Quetzalcoatl and when Veracocha left, well, they, they reverted in some of those areas to human sacrifice. But this is, this is the reason that I wanted to discuss this tonight on election night. Well, a lot of people are probably listening to like the 72-hour Alex Jones broadcast. A lot of people might be watching CNN or Fox News tonight. Maybe you popped the secret teachings on. There's an element of, of what's happening right now, like right this second right now, to the story that I'm telling you from, from this region of the world. And there are others around the world, but I'm focusing on South and Central America. Quetzalcoatl, just like Veracocha, brought all this civilization as a white god. And then that archetype, that character was played on in both regions by the conquistadors. And when you look at how and why Quetzalcoatl left, he arrived in the ocean and then left on the ocean, a raft of serpents. Veracocha arrived from the ocean, or in um, the case of um, a specific location, Lake Titicaca, which likely was part of the ocean at one point. There's seashells and seahorses and things like that that live there. So he comes out of the ocean, comes out of Lake Titicaca, and then he leaves through the Pacific. Um, shining boats. Kind of sounds maybe like they're made of metal or something. So why did they leave? That's the question that the, these these people ask as the people uh, the question the Incas ask as the question that the Maya ask as the question that all these these um, civilizations wondered, and of course the traditions go back even further. Again, the Maya got it from the Olmec, and the Olmec got it from God knows who, and they were like a thousand years before the Maya, so we have no idea where these things come from. These stories, but but they do have a similar um, parallel with uh, with each other. 
So why did they leave? Well, the story is is this, and I find this uh, a fascinating story because you not only find this in Central America, you also find this in India. Very, very similar story. So it basically goes like this. Quetzalcoatl and um, Veracocha, they, it, particularly Quetzalcoatl, uh, they had an enemy or some kind of uh, deity character, maybe another, another race, uh, somebody that didn't like them. So Quetzalcoatl in Central America, Veracocha in South America, they had this um, set or Seth-like uh, rivalry, is what we could call it. So Quetzalcoatl leaves on the Eastern Sea after he's vanquished by this rival at the city of Tolan. The rival is named Tezcatlipoca. Tezcatlipoca is what the California school system, for some weird reason, wants children to chant in class. There's a whole chant that they want children to say. They want them to repeat it. Tezcatlipoca, Tezcatlipoca, Tezcatlipoca. Now the name means, and this is even part of the chant, the smoking mirror. The smoking mirror. Now, we're not 100% sure. If you read the work of Graham Hancock, for example, he discusses this uh, briefly, that the name Tezcatlipoca derives from a word uh, that means obsidian. So that, you know, part of the name Tezcat, Tezcat, Tezcatl, something like that, translates to obsidian. Now, obsidian is, of course, a type of stone. And for those of you who are not magicians, obsidian stone, that black obsidian stone, is typically what magicians use to scry. In other words, they make a mirror out of this obsidian stone, and they stare into it. And they attempt to conjure and summon. And it's usually angel work. So it's not demonic and evil. And it's not much different than, you know, praying and visualizing what you want and asking God for help and things like that. So obsidian stone is is basically a mirror. That's the, Maybe that's the reason they called him Tezcatlipoca. And they said that he had the ability to see things from afar and to see things through this, this mirror. Of course, smoke could also refer to um, confusion and obfuscation. So, and the mirror is an upside down, uh, it's reversed, it's inversion. So, Tezcatlipoca is basically a Central American devil like character. The weird thing is, the, I mean, like we, we always talk about Jesus being, you know, he's whiteified, he's turned into a white person, although he probably wasn't white wandering around the, the Middle East a couple thousand years ago, you would think that whoever came up initially, we don't know, whoever came up initially with these characters, weren't going to make their gods, if they were local native Indians, weren't going to make their gods white when they probably had never seen a Caucasian person before. Um, or at least as, as we know, a Caucasian person. But they did. They made Quetzalcoatl white with a long beard and long flowing robes and and then Tezcatlipoca is more of a, a trickster deity. So he defeats Quetzalcoatl at the city of Tolan. And um, so Quetzalcoatl leaves because he's vanquished. 
And when he leaves, he promises his followers that he's going to return one day to overthrow the cult of Tezcatlipoca and to inaugurate an era when the gods would again accept sacrifices of flowers and cease their clamor for human blood. In other words, the white civilizers of Central and South America were driven out by what we might call uncivilized uh, people who brought back human sacrifice and uh, who brought back you know, blood sacrifice, uh, blood play, blood, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, this obsession with blood, which you also find in the Bible with uh, blood being sacred to God and pouring out the blood of the animal, blood being the life force and things like that. And this is what Tez Catalpoca, maybe he's a Central American Yahweh. And he demanded the sacrifice. And Tez Catalpoca is known, if you pick up any mythology book, he's known to be a god of human sacrifice. And not just human sacrifice, we're talking like Moloch sacrifice. We're talking child sacrifice, baby sacrifice, infant sacrifice totally practiced by the Aztecs. So think about this for a second. White gods civilized Central and South America, but they had counterparts that did not like them, and they brought destruction to the peaceful societies that Quetzalcoatl and Viracocha had created. And then they drove Quetzalcoatl and Viracocha out of those areas, particularly in the story of Quetzalcoatl, driven out by Tezcatlipoca at Tolan. And when he leaves, just like Viracocha promised, Viracocha was conspired against. And um, just like the story of Osiris, he was conspired against and he was put into a a, um, coffin-like thing and then put onto Lake Titicaca. And uh, the conspirers put him on the water just like the, the the conspirators of Osiris and um, his brother Seth, who conspired, put him in a coffin, put him on the Nile River, and that tells the story of you know his resurrection and all that. So the same thing happened to Veracocha. So he was conspired against. Quetzalcoatl was conspired against. And when both of them left, they promised to return, and they promised to stop the human sacrifice and stop the, the blood sport, stop the, the practice of sacrificing uh, humans for blood. Again, Moloch, and if you look into uh, pretty much anywhere in the world, Africa, the Middle East, India, Asia, and of course the Americas, you find human sacrifice, and particularly the sacrifice of babies, children, has been practiced. Burying children or babies under the or in the foundation of a new building to protect it, using the blood of young people to reverse the aging process. Um, Well, Elizabeth Bathory or Peter Thiel, for that matter. When you look at these um, these stories, uh, they might seem as if, and they do certainly, come out of a very dark and mysterious age in which we know nothing about. They may also seem as if they come out of the mind purely as a manifestation of the subconscious and archetypes and all that. 
which they do to a large extent. But they also relate and, in my opinion, strangely mirror current political issues. Now, let's try to break this down very simply and unbiasedly. Um, There are maybe, let's just use random, these are not real statistics, but just to kind of give you an idea, I think we can use numbers here. I've maybe heard a handful of Republicans ever say that they wish to completely ban abortion to the point where you can never get birth control, you can never have an abortion even for medical reasons. I I don't know if I've ever heard more than a few people even suggest that. Wildly unpopular. However, the Democrats say that the Republicans only want to do that. Not true. On the flip side, Republicans tend to say that all Democrats want to kill children after they're born. This is also not true. It is true, however, that there are a lot more Democrats that do have the opinion that babies can be murdered up until the point of birth and even after birth. We've even seen legislation introduced for this in New York and uh, other parts of the country, discussions even here in Arizona, of all places, to do that. So... Republicans are kind of right, but it's a small percentage of the Democrats that actually believe that. And it's a larger percentage than Republicans who believe that there shouldn't be any abortions, but still not the defining factors per se um, of either political party. Now, let's strip politics and identity and donkeys and elephants and blue and red from it just for a moment. And you have people that are advocating in 2022 for they won't say it directly because it sounds horrific and they know nobody would support it, but they're talking about after-birth abortions. There are ac- activist groups that want to allow, I mean, it, not that it would ever become law, but they, they're advocating for killing children up to three years after they're born. I mean, that is just, you, the, the mind cannot rationally process that. Some people are just freaking psychotic. That's, that's all there is to it. Uh, but again, this isn't about Democrat and Republican per se. It's about that there, there is an element, and this is what you've seen all through the election season, of abortion, 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 which amounts to human sacrifice. I mean, it amounts to genocide if you have dark skin, because that's where most of the abortions are happening. Over half are Hispanics and blacks, and they put it's about two-thirds of all Planned Parenthoods are in black communities, uh, as we talked about uh, with Christy Kelly on Friday, Friday's show, which is in the archive at thesecretteachings.info. So there is a group of people that are promoting this. Now, this is so eerily and weirdly similar to what the cult of Tizcatlipoca, Smoking Mirror, advocated for and brought back to the civilized world after Quetzalcoatl was driven out of power. In other words, when you go back and you look at the story of Quetzalcoatl and you go back and you realize, oh, well, they got that, you know, these different stories. The Maya got that from the Olmecs. The Olmecs got that from God knows who. We're talking thousands. These civilizations were separated by thousands of years. So these, these go back tens of thousands. We have no idea. A long time ago. You know, a, a point of time that we just have amnesia about as a species. So whatever was happening there was also happening in Africa and India and the Middle East and Asia, all over the world. There were these cults of human sacrifice 
Um, and that's a scary thing. And that's something that, well, it's going to get you good ratings if you do a TV show on it and if you write a book on it. But this isn't how all of our ancestors lived. This is a small portion of people who were obsessed with these things and they they pushed it on the general public in whatever culture, civilization it was. In other words, there's a cult of human and child sacrificers that existed in those days. And there's similarly a cult, apparently, that exists today that wants to sacrifice children and wants to sacrifice uh, humans and are obsessed with blood and sounds like Hollywood and Megan Fox. Not much has changed. And perhaps we're dealing with the same ideological lineage from 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 or more years ago. It's a weird thing to think about tonight, early this morning, the blood moon. Tonight, Secret Teachings, Election Night, November 8th, 2022. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. More after this. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food Philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to hear more of The Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit the Secret Teachings info and click on the donate subscribe tab at the top of the page use the secure paypal link and start your membership today by subscribing you support the secret teachings ryan and yourself people ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis and misinformation i say take control of your body and mind with water filtration visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with pro one water filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home camping trip and even the shower they filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends family and yourself that's pro one water filters at thesecretteachings.info hello folks this is jordan maxwell and you're listening to the secret teachings excellent shows with your host ryan gable think about your hero when you're at ground zero and call out to the fallout back to me
Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of the secret teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Hi everyone, this is Mark Passio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. tuned into the secret teachings radio november 8th 2022 election night for the midterm elections here in the united states tonight's topic might seem a little bit out of place as we are discussing mythology and archetypes and comparative uh, mythologies and religions earlier this morning about 3.30, 3.30, o'clock a.m. Pacific time, where I am here in Tucson, Arizona. I didn't get a chance to see it, but we had a blood moon. Final lunar eclipse of the year. Anytime there's a blood moon or an eclipse, it's always been seen as a portent, as an omen. Sometimes for something good, perhaps, but usually for something bad, the Sky is darkened, the moon is darkened, there's an eclipse of the sun, that's particularly bad. So there was a blood moon this morning, on election day, and the longest and final lunar eclipse of the year. A lot of us turn to the Bible for reference to such an occurrence, where in Joel 2.31 it says, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I believe that this is cyclical, that the sun turned to darkness relates to the changing of the seasons, the dying of the sun in the fall and the winter. It says that the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the moon to blood, this is the harvest, or in this case, the beaver moon. And the beaver represents community and bringing things together and uh, saving resources and things like that, which is what we do in the fall. We don't have to worry as much about it anymore because we have grocery stores and things like that. But in the older days, they certainly had to worry about having enough food and working together to survive the cold, dark winter months of the black and the pale horses before the white horse comes and saves them in the spring when the sun is resurrected and all of that good stuff. You know the rest. So the sun has turned to darkness, the moon turned to blood. You also find references in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Revelation, etc., talking about cataclysmic events, talking about the stars falling from the sky, talking about the moon not giving off any light. Again, that could be an eclipse. Talking about things like floods, great deluges, surging of waves in Luke 21-25. Obviously, if you read the Bible and you believe these things, then any rational person has to acknowledge that the Bible is actually strengthened, not weakened, strengthened by the similarities that are found all throughout not only the ancient world, but also found throughout the contemporary world where ancient beliefs and mythologies persist in a way that is stunning in terms of the parallels between various different cultures, some that are 
so far apart, even with airplanes today, it boggles the mind how they share uh, the same kinds of stories with people on the other side of the world. From the Aztecs and the Maya to uh, the Greek myths to Malaysia to Vietnam to Burma to uh, China to uh, Indians in California, Colombia, Central and South America, all over. I mean, it's the same types of stories about deluge and a flood. I mean, the Epic of Gilgamesh is probably one of the most famous comparisons to Noah. So cataclysm, something bad happened. Something really bad. The end of the fourth age of man, the starting of the fifth age, and the fifth age is the final age. And what we find in these stories and what we find in the archaeology is that the Maya, we know this, were literally obsessed with time. And they were obsessed with calendars and dates. They knew things about Venus. They knew a solar year to a percentage that was more accurate when they uh, when they put it down on proverbial paper, if you will. When they carved it, when they when they documented these things, it was more accurate than hundreds of years later. What better science was able to do in terms of of calculating a solar year? They knew the the cycle of the moon. They knew the cycles of Venus. Hundreds, if not even longer than that, if they inherited it from somewhere else, it came from a time thousands of years, perhaps before. We learned uh, as much about Venus as we, we thought. I mean, the Romans thought Venus was, it was like two different stars, morning and evening stars, the same, same star though, same, um, same light. One's, of course, a false light appearing before the real sun. So that's the story of Lucifer and the reflection off the moon cast down to earth and that whole story of Lucifer being cast to, to, to earth from heaven because he disobeyed God. He wanted to be like God. Um, you know, the star, Venus, Lucifer wanted to be like the sun. That's this is all um, astronomy, um, or uh, in some cases it's incorporated into buildings. So it's they called astro archaeology. Um, a lot of different names for it. But the point of all of this is the obsession with time, the obsession with preventing the end of the world, as is the case of the Aztecs. This goes back uh, not only in terms of of these obsessions and likely what these cultures inherited in particular the maya from the uh, from the olmecs but there's also another component to these stories and that is the the civilizing gods and the creator gods that like the deluge stories are mirrored all throughout the world and when we think of like Hernan Cortez and we think of the conquistadors and Francisco Pizarro and what they did to the the Indians in the Andes and in Central America we think of this as this horrible European genocide but what we don't think about because I feel that a lot of people don't know this the only reason that these conquistadors were able to do what they did so easily was because the Indians thought and believed they were the reincarnation or the rebirth or the return of their gods because they looked just like them. Their gods, Quetzalcoatl and Veracocha, had white skin. They were fair. They had long flowing robes. They had beards. Some people think the Inca are really the descendants of Cain, 
if you play around with Cain, Inca, Cain, Inca, and that they bear the mark of Cain because, you know, the facial hair, um, the lack of facial hair of these peoples. So white gods came to civilize these areas. They came by the ocean. They came by the Gulf or the Eastern Sea, and they came by Lake Titicaca, which used to be part of the ocean, it appears, They brought civilization and then they left. Now, the reason they left is because they were conspired against. They were driven out of these areas. So white people came to civilize those areas. They brought love and peace and astronomy and metallurgy and archaeology and astronomy and obviously a complex uh, mathematics and um, things that are, I mean, it's like astrophysics, basically what they were taught these people, uh, time and calendars and all this stuff. And then they were driven out by more malevolent forces. So these malevolent forces brought back or introduced, arguably in some, some cases perhaps, they, they brought back or introduced human sacrifice. So when Quetzalcoatl was driven out of Central America, he left on the ocean that he had arrived on, and he promised his followers he would return to end human sacrifice, and the desire for human blood. Quetzalcoatl was driven out of Central America by Tezcatlipoca, the smoking mirror at the city of Tolan, and Veracocha in South America was driven out by a similar conspiracy. Veracocha has a relationship, therefore, with the Egyptian Osiris because Osiris was a civilizer And he was struck down in a jealous conspiracy. Like Osiris, whose body was put in a coffin on the Nile, Viracocha was placed in a boat made of Totora rush. It was papyrus reeds in Egypt. And it was set adrift on Lake Titicaca from whence he originally arrived. So Osiris was a civilizer and a hunter. Orion, the great hunter, Orion's belt. Three stars, the three kings. And he was the civilizer that brought civilization and slayed the beasts across the world. And his brother was jealous and conspired against him when he returned to Egypt. And you have the the first mummy and the dismemberment of the body, and you see the 14 pieces that you see in the uh, John F. Kennedy Memorial at Daly Plaza, 14 pieces, the obelisk, the penis is the 14th piece, the obelisk is the penis, it's cut into 14 pieces, it is an Osirian image. It's an Osirian symbol. So Osiris is conspired against, this is personally my favorite myth, but when you compare it to the myths in South America, it's the exact same thing. Now, obviously there's variations. They used papyrus reeds in Egypt. They used Totora rush in South America. Obviously Osiris was placed on the Nile River. And obviously, Veracocha was placed on Lake Titicaca. But it's the same concept. So it might not be that the same person developed these ideas. Obviously, it seems as if they didn't because these are variations that are regional, that are environmental, that are local. But it's basically, um, it's like, it's like a, an archetypical do-it-yourself kit. Whatever you have laying around, you use that. And then you get this story that is virtually identical from different parts of the world 
that weren't supposed to have had any contact with each other. So this happened to Quetzalcoatl. He was driven out by Tezcatlipoca. And then it happened to Veracocha. He was driven out by a conspiracy, which also mimics and mirrors what was happening in Egypt with the development of the mythos of Osiris placed in the coffin. Now, this also occurred in uh, ancient Indian Hindu tradition. In fact, just like Moses was placed in a basket and put on the river and then raised as royalty, not only was Osiris also in a basket, in a coffin, put on the river, and then he was raised as a pillar in a palace, just like Moses. But in Hindu tradition, in the ancient secret teachings of, of, of India, I've got an interesting rare book on this. This is where I learned it fascinating rare book book I found and the people that were selling selling it did not know what it was worth. So I got a good deal on it. And this book describes how in order to pick the priest, when a child was born, they would put the child into a basket. And this was kind of, it might've been a real ritual at one point. I think it was more symbolic by the time this was documented, which is just incredible implying how far this time period goes back when this kind of thing was developed. They put the baby in a basket. They would float it down the river. And depending on where the basket settled, if it settled, um, you know, on a certain uh, river bank or if, you know, maybe if it like Osiris, it got caught in a tamarisk tree, if it got caught in a tree trunk or something like that. So if it made it to a certain point, then the child was immediately taken to the temple and they were, as a child, they were raised to be a priest in this Indian Hindu cult. So it's the same exact type of a story. Um, There's even arguably similar types of stories uh, in places like Japan, where this woman comes out of the water and she's carrying this box with her and she brings knowledge and information. This is what Osiris and this is what the Hindu priests and or the Indian priests. This is what um, we find in South America and in Central America. And we also find uh, in India uh, an interesting story that relates to Quetzalcoatl and Tezcatlipoca because the battle between the two, which brought human sacrifice and, and infant baby sacrifice like Moloch, Uh, back to Central America, parallels the Indian myth of Lord Shiva and King Salwa, or King Salva. Lord Shiva was attacked and driven out of his holy city in the same way that Quetzalcoatl was attacked and driven out of his holy city. The difference is, we actually know where these sacred cities are. These are physical locations in Central America and locations in India. In northwest India, Dwarka is an ancient submerged city which was said to be the home of Krishna, who is the, the Hindu Christ, the Hindu Christ. His father was even a carpenter in most of the stories. Krishna's city was thought to be a myth, just like Troy, until it was discovered off the coast of the Arabian, or in the Arabian Sea, off the coast of of uh, Northwest India. The legend says that King Salwa used an illusion. And that's the actual word in the, in the story. Most mythology books, 
an illusion to confuse his enemies, which, of course, mirrors the smoking mirror illusions of Tezcatlipoca. The story says that King Salwa flew into the sky and attacked Lord Shiva from above, shooting bolts of lightning or energy reminiscent of uh, fire serpents in South and Central America. The fire serpents, um, largely in Central America, I don't know how to pronounce this. I think it's Zucotl. Zucotl. It's uh, X-I-U-H-C-O-A-T-L. Somebody please help me try to pronounce it. I know it's like Quetzalcoatl. So it's Zucotl. It's a fire serpents. And uh, these are really interesting because this is like more technology. It, it In the stories, it describes these technologies as being kind of like the laser guns from the Dune science fiction stories. And uh, that they they were able to um, do really incredible things with these weapons that the, the rays, uh, burning rays were able to just slaughter people. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a strange and fascinating thing because it sounds like a technology. And of course, this is why people think, well, the, they must have been aliens. Maybe uh, I don't really Per, per, per se, subscribe to that theory. I mean, I don't think that these people were primitive, so I don't subscribe to mainline archaeology either. But I, I think they were probably in contact with an ancient human civilization. And to me, that makes more sense. Maybe aliens are involved. I don't know. But I, I think that there certainly was ancient human civilization that was very, very far advanced. Uh, Graham Hancock writes of these fire serpents that they emitted burning rays capable of piercing and dismembering human bodies. That sounds pretty powerful then, huh? So you've got all these myths. You've got Krishna and Dwarka and King Salwa. Krishna is essentially Quetzalcoatl in this case. Quetzalcoatl was, if you've read my book, Occult Arcana, I have a whole section talking about Quetzalcoatl and how he was the crucified god just like Christ. So if the Hindu Krishna is Quetzalcoatl and the Krishna is the Christ or the Krishna, the Christ, then it would make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense that there's a parallel there. It's the same type of a, of a, of a character, same type of a story. And uh, par- not just parallel, I mean exact identical things, just different names based on language and, and regions. So Lord Krishna is attacked at Dwarka and King Salwa attacks him with uh, immense power and drives Shiva out of his sacred land. In the same way that Tezcatlipoca attacks Quetzalcoatl and uses deception and illusion, just like Lord or King Salwa. And he attacks Quetzalcoatl at Tolan and drives him into the sea, back from where he came. And as he leaves, similar to Krishna, similar to all of the other gods, similar to all the other deities, including Jesus, they promise to return again to overthrow the cult of Tezcatlipoca and to bring an age about in which sacrifices of flowers would be welcomed to the gods as opposed to human sacrifice. 
I don't know if I need to point this out, but there is a parallel between this, both archetypically and perhaps ideologically, and what is happening today in contemporary times. As I said at the beginning of tonight's show, I'm recording this early in the morning tonight. So I'm not live and new with you tonight. I'm, this is early in the morning, November 8th, because I'm going to vote after this, and then I'm going up to Phoenix right now as I'm talking. I'll, I'll, I'll be at a, a party in Phoenix for the, uh, hopefully for the next governor of, of Arizona. So I was, I was putting all this together, and um, I, wanted to, I, wanted to, I wanted to do something that was very unique tonight, because everybody else is talking about polls and, you know, obviously politics, and it's in, important, absolutely. But the reason I wanted to address the subject is because you notice that although Democrats say Republicans want to ban abortion outright, and Republicans say Democrats want to have abortion unregulated, both those statements are almost true. <clears throat> the Republicans are more accurate when they say the Democrats want to just have abortion on demand because they don't want any restrictions. Republicans want some restrictions to kind of have some kind of civility. Um, but both are kind of wrong in stating that their opposition completely wants that. So objectively speaking, if you're a Democrat, I don't think that you want to sacrifice babies. But the people that do want to do that <clears throat> excuse me, are doing that in the likeness of Tezcatlipoca. Now, that could just be a strange, seemingly random connection, right? Except for the fact that in California, one of the hubs of this rabid, uh, poisonous, putrefying, anti-human, anti-life, anti-child equation, California has introduced year or so ago, into their curriculum, in some schools, they want children to chant the name of Tezcatlipoca and to even say, smoking mirror, smoking mirror, Tezcatlipoca. Why would, I mean, if you were going to have your children say something like that to the whole point was about decolonization, even though, hey, in the mythology books, it's actually white people who civilize South and Central America with love and peace and equality and brotherhood and friendship and trade. But don't tell them, the intellectuals, that because they'll have a meltdown. But Tezcatlipoca, the smoking mirror, they want kids to chant this in schools. Now, if you haven't read the article, there's a bunch of them. Uh, Daily Mail, Fox News, Yahoo News, uh, here's Canadian News, New York Post, uh, Washington uh, Times, and a bunch of others. For some weird reason, left-wing media doesn't like to cover it. I'm not sure why that is. But California in uh, 2021 uh, proposed a curriculum where you chant the name of this God of human sacrifice. You literally repeat it like it's some kind of, um, well, it is a chant, but like it's some kind of incantation. So it literally, um, it is literally this. I'll, I'll read it to you. Uh, transformation decolonization, 
liberation, education, emancipation, change in our situation in this human transformation. Sounds like some kind of weird liberal poetry or something. And then you chant the names of the gods. Uh, you chant the name of Tezcatlipoca and a number of others. And the whole goal, because you say it over and over and over and over and over and over again, is meant to, quote, facilitate discussions about race, racism, bigotry, and the experience of diverse Americans. Okay, whatever that means. Why they would introduce that specific name into a curriculum in a state that is obsessed north to south, west to east with zero regulations on abortion. It's either people today have learned this mythology and find it kosher with their beliefs about abortion and therefore want to introduce it as part of their progressive agenda, progressive policy, whatever it is, because it aligns so well. Or it might be that or might not be that mixed with the fact that it's likely, as we've had other beliefs and traditions, some unscathed and others uh, scarred, come down to us from thousands of years ago, and we still practice these traditions today, all the holy holidays and things like that, long before they were federal or national holidays. It's not totally unlikely or impossible that the ideology of certain modern political viewpoints is not extracted at least kind of in part from the sacrificial cults in the new world or the sacrificial cults even in the old world. Tezcatlipoca, the smoking mirror god of illusions and darkness, just like King Salwa attacking Lord Shiva at Dwarka in northwest India, and, and uh, Tezcatlipoca driving Quetzalcoatl out of Central America, just like the conspirators drove out Osiris or drove out Viracocha in South America. Egypt, of course, for Osiris, Africa. But this is a practice that we know has taken place all over the world. It's not a debatable thing. Human sacrifice, don't sacrifice your child in the fires of Moloch, the bull, bell, ball, the devil. And it's always a smoking fire. Um, it's kind of like the jinn, uh, beans of luminous, uh, smokeless fire. Um, and it's all really, 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 really similar and then when you see people, like we talked about this last week on the show, um, on Thursday last week, there was a, a group of students reading a Bible out in public, and these activists came over and assaulted them, took the Bible, ripped it up, and stuffed the pages into their mouth. They're like rabid, foaming animals. This is akin to something that you might think of in the literature or the mythology of the followers of the cult of Moloch or Tezcatlipoca or Set or Seth or Typhon. They want destruction. They hate life. And this seems to be very present in the American political system today. The cult of Tezcatlipoca is alive and well. And uh, people just voted for it. A lot of people voted for it today. 
I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. A lot more after this. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. Please subscribe to the show to support us. Buy a copy of one of my books, Occult Arcane of the Technological Elixir or Liberty Shrugged or Food Philosophy. And stay with us because there's a lot more after this break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with thedavidknightshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teaching. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. There are a lot of other parallels around the world between various cultures and religions, not just about great deluges and the end of the world, not just human sacrifice, not just the driving of peaceful and loving gods out of places like Central America or places like India by jealous and envious conspirators like those that conspired against Viracocha or conspired against Osiris in Egypt. There are other parallels that are not so black and white, per se. Parallels that indicate a level of both technology and a level of cultural development which goes beyond the idea of uh, simple uh, simplicities, uh, simple black and white uh, things. For example, I learned this probably about 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, when I first got into radio, you know, a little more consistently, uh, started 13 years ago, but I, I learned about something called the opening 
of the mouth ceremony. The opening of the mouth ceremony. And the opening of the mouth ceremony is a ritual that was performed in both Egypt and in Central America. And it blew my mind because I thought, okay, we have pyramids. We have similar types of temples. We clearly have an incredible knowledge, whether it was acquired or it was inherited. And these two completely different cultures, probably not developed by the same people, but perhaps they took their knowledge and they took their information from the same source and then they develop slightly differently. You have different animals, you know, in uh, Central America as opposed to in Africa, but those animals play similar parts. Uh, And even so, there are striking similarities between the underworlds in these areas that are are completely, uh, you know, just almost like they're copy and pasted. So the Popol Vuh, the sacred Maya book, and the ancient Egyptian Book of the Dead both document a belief in the ability to be reincarnated as a star. The Popol Vuh calls it the stellar rebirth. Part of this process includes special rituals like the opening of the mouth ceremony. In Central America, Pa'ichi, which is a word that means human sacrifice, indicates the open the mouth, or the opening of the mouth, ceremony. In Egyptian rituals, which took place in pyramids or other temples, just like they did in Central America, they used a cutting tool called the peshenkif, which was used to open the mouth of the physical body. In Mexico, the sacrificial location was inside the same pyramidal structures. It was conducted by a high priest, just like in Egypt, who had assistants, just like in Egypt, usually for assistance. They took a sacrificial knife and they struck a blow to the head of the victim. Usually, they were dead. They were treated with respect uh, and uh, veneration. These were pharaohs. These were royalty. These were priests. And they believed that by striking the head and opening the mouth, you have that last breath and the soul leaves And they believed in stellar rebirth. So the kings of the Maya, the kings of the Egyptians, they would go on to become reincarnated as stars. And there is another interesting practice in the ancient mystery schools of the Middle East and and Europe. It's called tonsure. And it's basically having your head shaved. Um, kind of like the friars and then the monks that shave their head or the Jews that put the yarmulke on their head. It reminds you there's something above you. But it has a similar feel to it. You believe that the sacrificial knife opens the head and allows a direct connection to the heavens. Shaving the hair does something similar to that. It draws down a connection into the top of the body from the divine. And... It's based upon the idea of releasing consciousness and allowing the dead to, in Egypt, take up a journey with Osiris. According to Anthony Cummins, who I'm going to try to get on the show, he wrote a book called The Dark Side of Japan. 
There is a practice in Japan that dates back, I'm not sure how long, probably thousands of years, that when a local person dies, the village puts money together and they call a shaman to perform a ritual called opening the mouth of the dead so that the soul can be helped on its way to the afterlife. Now, Japan is unlike Egypt in the sense that we've known and we've gotten to look at and we've gotten to investigate and study and don't do a lot of things in Egypt and even in, even in the Americas in terms of archaeology and um, astroarchaeology. And, but Japan's a little bit different, especially to the West. Like we don't, Japan is so foreign to us I and mean, we're connected today. Yeah, we're connected and we know about the cultures and, but Japan is still a pretty foreign place for most of us in the West. And to learn that the Japanese had not a similar, but literally the same tradition called opening the mouth of the dead that the Egyptians had and that the Mexicans had. I mean, what more evidence and proof do you need that there was some kind of shared knowledge and therefore there had to have been some form of an ability to travel between these places thousands of or tens of thousands, or perhaps hundreds of thousands of years ago. You don't really know. And I, I say that far back because the Maya got their calendar system from the Olmecs, and the Olmecs came hundreds, if not a thousand years or so before the Mayas, and they say that just like at Tiwanaku in South America, the gods built uh, the structure, um, uh, the Inca didn't build it, and uh, it was, I mean, even... Even certain places that you find in, in Central America, like when the Aztecs found Teotihuacan, uh, from what I've read, most of the complex was already overgrown by the jungle. So by the time the Aztecs came on the scene, Teotihuacan, the city of the gods, was already in disarray. So it goes back God knows how long. Egyptians, Central Americans, Japanese, they all have the same exact rituals and not only those kinds of rituals, but a general idea of the underworld. In Central America, the followers of Quetzalcoatl believed that he had died and he would be reborn as a star. I'm sure many people took on the, uh, the character of Quetzalcoatl. So he died to be reborn as a star. In Egypt, obviously, there's a similar belief in the soul, especially for that of the pharaoh. And the pharaoh was reborn as a star upon death. This is the stellar rebirth, and they carried out the ceremonies to be able to assist this. The Coming Forth by Day, another name for the Book of the Dead, is a guide for the soul in overcoming the dangers of the afterlife. It equips the individual with passwords and tools for pro uh, processing uh, the information needed and surpassing the different uh, levels of the underworld in order to safely return upon um, literal communication or communion held with spirits that are beyond the veil. In both Central America and ancient Egypt, it was believed that the soul of the dead made its journey in a boat accompanied by guides who ferried them from stage to stage, just like the Greek Sharon. In the Babylonian version, the Lady of Hades was called Nin-Kigal. So Babylon, they had a similar story, Nin-Kigal, and her residence also has a river that spirits uh, must cross like that in the Greek version. 
The boat is the vessel of the soul in the afterlife, just as the body is the vessel for the soul in the physical life. This boat floats on both the symbolic river and the river of the Milky Way, which is connected to the Nile, and it's perhaps connected to ancient river systems in Central America. Certainly, there's a connection to Lake Titicaca because of Veracocha coming out of Lake Titicaca to bring civilization, to bring all the life-giving abilities and things like that. Water is life-giving, and, and uh, these creator gods brought life and the river of souls and all that kind of stuff. So in Egypt, the Nile was considered part of the galaxy. Um, similar types of things, I'd imagine you find these, uh, if, if there are some of these stories, I don't know them, but I'd imagine you find these in Japan, certainly find them in, in China and other places around the world. Uh, if you go to um, the America, uh, American mythology, you find the tomb of Doublecomb, an 8th century ruler of the Mayan city of Tikal. And what you find there is a depiction of the underworld with similar features that were found in the Valley of the Kings in Upper Egypt. If you go to South America, if you go to the Andes, you find construction techniques that were used, very unique, that were used on islands in, uh, I believe it's the Mediterranean. I mean, the, the, the metal tea clamps. I, I forget the name of the island. It's like Elephantine or something. But it's the same thing they used in, in the Andes, thousands of feet in the air, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away. That's, to me, that doesn't say aliens. That says, that says we're missing a giant piece of the human puzzle. Maybe aliens are involved. I don't know. But the Tomb of Doublecomb, has this underworld and similar to what's found in the Valley of the Kings in Upper Egypt. In both of these versions of the underworld, there is a dog or dog-headed deity, Anubis, a bird or bird-headed deity, Thoth, and an ape or ape-headed deity. In Central America, one level of the underworld was called, and this is a very long word, Tio Koya Kaloya. I hope that's how you pronounce it. It's called the place where beasts devour hearts. If you know your Egyptian mythology, the place where beasts devour hearts in Central America is almost just a copy and paste job, if you will, from the stages in the Egyptian Hall of Judgment, the final judgment, which includes a series of symbols where you have the heart, which is weighed against a feather, if the heart was heavy with sin, the balance of the scale would be tipped, the judgment written by the god Thoth on his palate, and a beast part crocodile, hippopotamus, and lion would devour the heart. The name of that beast was the Eater of the Dead. Same exact thing in Central America. A priest of the higher world, it is the Archangel Michael, who also weighs souls upon a great scale during the final judgment. So you have... Characters in Central America, you have characters in ancient Egypt, and you have, uh, well, more Christian traditions even. Uh, Mark, uh, Michael, the archangel, priest of the higher world, weighing souls upon a great scale in the final judgment. Jesus is also depicted holding the scales. Um, Santa Muerte holds the scales. Uh, Hades has a black horse and, and, and essentially weighs um, uh, the option of kidnapping Persephone and allowing the earth to fall into a chaos and cold and darkness for a certain part of the year based on the uh, morning of Demeter. So you find all of this 
And you start to recognize there's an unbelievable connection between these cultures. The Mexican cultures used the image of the double puma, and that basically mirrors the Egyptians that used the lion gods of yesterday and today, similar to the Roman god Janus. These lion gods were called Akira. And the ability to uh, circumnavigate, uh, if you will, uh, to fully proceed in and around uh, the underworld, you have this idea that the soul is broken up into pieces and therefore that the, the body must be preserved for the soul to or for some component of the soul to uh, maintain a connection uh, to the culture, to the tribe, to the body, uh, that, that the vessel remains. So you have the process of mummification uh, and that is a process that you find uh, distinctly in the Americas and a process you find in Japan, famously in Egypt. They might have just made the most beautiful uh, sarcophagi, but you find that all throughout the world as well. So this stuff is not something that can be relegated to accident, to chance, etc. And regardless of where it came from, uh, perhaps thousands, tens of thousands of years ago, I mean, these... It's like when you find a structure, like in Egypt, we, oh, the Egyptians must have built the pyramids. Well, they built some pyramids, and they weren't as good as the bigger pyramids, so they lost some information, they lost some knowledge along the way. Likewise, the calendar system of the Maya, or they got it from the Olmecs, which were even older, um, the, the system of mathematics and engineering, the, the system of astronomy and what amounts to astrophysics, and I mean, just stuff that is beyond my comprehension, but the, the ancient primitive people certainly understood it to some level that a lot of intellectuals today are, they can't even understand how they understood it, let alone understand it themselves. How did they lift, you know, hundred, 200 ton, uh, uh, or multiple tons, a couple hundred tons, uh, uh, rocks, uh, stones that are carved that are the size of a house. And they did that with, um, with primitive tools. Like obviously none of this really makes a lot of sense. But the one thing that, and the reason I brought this up tonight, the one thing that really uh, gets me is that today, in 2022, today's November 8th, right? This is election day. And one of the things that is being discussed and has been discussed for months now uh, in terms of this midterm election in the states is the issue of abortion. Certainly, not all Democrats believe in up-to-birth abortions, but a lot of them actually do. So it's probably a larger percentage, but still not like all Democrats. But there are people that believe that human um, life only begins when we say it does, right? So if you take the baby out of the womb, put them on a little cold metal tray, uh, the doctor decides when the baby's actually alive. So you know, it's the idea of playing God. But the idea of killing the baby before they're born i mean even if you don't even if you don't believe or buy into or you don't like that whole you know the cells clumping together is a life whatever your your argument or point of view is obviously when the baby's head's coming out that baby's alive the point is if you're killing that baby, I, I don't. I find it hard to separate that ideology today 
and how that seems to be the only issue that some people voted for today from the old human sacrificial cults that we find on remote islands, that we find in Africa, that we find in Asia, that we find in North, Central, and South America, to varying degrees. I mean, the Aztecs were most famous for it, but it's not like people didn't do this elsewhere in the world, around the world. Uh, Moloch comes to mind, right? Uh, Large parts of Africa, human sacrifice, uh, various parts of Europe, uh, Scandinavia, all over, just everywhere. So, to me, this implies that there's a similar ideology present today. And we can turn it into a healthcare issue and an issue of politics and your party and women's rights. And I don't think any of that really applies. I don't, to me, the issue of abortion is the issue of the cult of Tezcatlipoca. I mean, when Tezcatlipoca took over Central America from Quetzalcoatl and drove Quetzalcoatl out at Tolan, and Quetzalcoatl said he would return one day and, and end these sacrifices. It was because Tezcatlipoca had used violence when Quetzalcoatl preached love, and Tezcatlipoca had used um, human sacrifice to terrify and subjugate the people. And they would sacrifice men, they would sacrifice women, and they would sacrifice children. To what extent or what degree? Now, the Aztecs sometimes would sacrifice, ten, sacrifice tens of thousands at once. And uh, despite the fact that we like to paint native peoples as being holy and levitating uh, as yogis and shamans and having never done anything wrong, um, obviously, uh, Francisco Pizarro and Hernan Cortez and other conquistadors uh, committed mass genocide. But we have to also recognize that some of them recognized later that that was wrong and they ended up documenting a lot of things that we otherwise might have lost, even though ironically they destroyed a lot of things and that's the reason that we lost them. But they're not all evil, they're not all bad, and uh, not all the so-called Indians were good, right? Because if the Aztecs are sacrificing tens of thousands I mean, what's the difference of their own people? What's the difference if, if the Spanish sacrificed five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand 10,000 of the Indians? It's barbaric either way you slice it. If you can't be honest with yourself about that, then you're delusional. And I'm not saying that it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm saying it's an objective thing. And I'm saying it's an ironic thing because the only reason that the Spanish were able to do these things so easily was because the natives believed that they were the re- incarnation, the return of their gods that had similar features, pale earth skin, a pale complexion in comparison, robes, shiny instruments, and beards. That pretty much describes the conquistadors. They believe that they were Quetzalcoatl. They believe that they were the return of of their gods. It's as simple as that. And as a result of this, they allowed uh, the conquistadors to pretty much quite literally get away with murder. And uh, the uh, one of the theories is that Cortez, they had ac- he'd actually um, studied the mythology, studied the religion, and knew that he was coming as the return of this god. 
But again, the irony is he played the part of Tia's Ketlapoka, human sacrifice, theft, murder, violence, all these horrible things that Quetzalcoatl did not teach. He taught love. So the irony is in that, and it's also in the fact that we like to demonize the Spanish when the Aztecs were doing equally terrible things to themselves. But we also have to recognize the irony in the fact that white people in their mythology in South and Central America believed that white people came and civilized them and brought love and peace. So if you want to play, if you want to play games with history, uh, white people civilized South and Central America. They didn't just commit genocide in the same way that, well, there were plenty of uh, cultures like the Aztecs that did terrible things, but they also did really great things. Same with the Maya, same with the, the Toltecs, the, the Olmecs, etc. That's the second, I think, uh, thing that's quite ironic. Tezcatlipoca was a cult of sacrifice, of human sacrifice. And I can't help but think that there are certain elements in the American political system today that represent this god of blood and sacrifice of the innocents, etc., I can't help but think that those people recently, uh, those crazy activists that ripped up the Bible and tried to eat it, are any different ideologically than the rabid and the um, the hyped up, animalized, barbaric practices of the ancient world, whether that's something like... Um, Oh, I don't know, something like what happened in the Middle East where they would bury children under the foundation of buildings or it's something like happened in, well, in the Aztec culture or it's something that happened in China, modern, not modern day China, but like ancient, ancient, ancient China. Although they do do a lot of that human sacrifice stuff today in China and they did have that whole one baby, two baby policy, you know, that baby policy thing that they had for a while. They would just kill the babies. That's kind of similar infanticide and then there was that whole infanticide thing in the bible and then there's that whole like yahweh kind of sounds like tis Lapoka, and uh he's kind of demanding human sacrifice and blood sacrifice which is what again tis Lapokas, uh you could play a drinking game tonight all the times i've said that name but, but this is this is what he uh wanted in central america it sounds really really similar doesn't it and again, I can't help but think that those who advocate for this today are advocating for the cult of this God. And they say he's an Aztec God, but he's not just an Aztec God. He's a God that goes back before the Aztecs. I mean, the Aztecs, again, they found a Teo, uh, Teotihuacan when it was overgrown with trees and plants and vines and things like that. I mean, so this, this kind of stuff like with the Olmecs came from thousands of years predating what we consider to be even ancient history. Um, there's, there's a presence or there's a force, there's an essence and energy that has been here. If you read William Bramley, he does a really good job of describing this. This is an alien presence to some extent, um, at least by one definition or another. And this presence clearly just like EA and uh, or Inky and Inlile, right? EA, EA, who 
gave knowledge to uh, to man to survive the flood. Some of the gods wanted to destroy the earth. This is like the Zachariah Sitchin story, but it is it is a true um, Mesopotamian myth that relates to the deluge and that relates to Noah and the uh, and the ark and the mountaintop where most people survived these floods all over the world. Uh, when the gods, I mean, even the story of Prometheus. There's a story with Prometheus and he gets married to an earth woman and they have a child and some other stuff happens in the story fast forwarding. And then he tells his child to survive the flood because the gods are mad at Prometheus. So his child, uh, Diocalion, who's forewarned by Prometheus, he creates a wooden box and he climbs into it with his wife, um, Pyra and they survive the flood. And then, so, I mean, again, it's no matter which way you slice it, Tonight, there's a lot of ancient mythology, a lot of ancient, ancient, ancient history, but also some parallels as people went to the polls today to vote. A lot of people voted solely because they want their government officials to legalize abortion to the point of birth. That's really all they're concerned with, which is just really, really, it's tacky and it's perverse and it's weird that that's all you're concerned with. Like, sure, I'll pay $12 for a Starbucks drink. I'll, I'll pay $5 for a gallon of gas. Sure, I'll, I'll give hundreds of billions to Ukraine. I don't understand inflation. You know, I guess we were just told by the mainstream media, the Republicans made the word inflation up. It never existed before. <laughs> I just heard that uh, on, on, on Saturday morning. And um, they're not concerned about any of that. They're just concerned about the sacrifice, which means that they are obsessed with the human sacrifice in the same way that the cult of Tezcatlipoca was obsessed with human sacrifice. And I don't know who plays the role of Quetzalcoatl today, but this ideology is very well alive and it is very healthy today. It might even be healthier today than it was a hundred years ago, considering the fact that in California, they've introduced a curriculum last year where they want people to chant the name of this God of human sacrifice, not the gods of civilization, but the gods of decivilization. That should tell you something right there. And, and to also smear the Aztecs and the Mayas, all these other Indian tribes to act like they only worshipped these, this God of destruction. They didn't, they worshiped Quetzalcoatl, the plum serpent. They, they worship Veracocha. These were gods of civilization and love and peace, not war and death and suffering and, and, and famine and disease and, and murder and violence and sacrifice. So they're like, we got to decolonize and we got to do these things to make, make students understand the evils of colonization, despite the fact that it's white people who civilize those communities, those civilizations, according to their own mythologies. Uh, coincidentally, um, it was because when the Spanish came, they fit into that mythology. They actually played the role of, of, the, of the evil one, and they, they, they slaughtered those Indians as a result of the color of their skin, the irony there. And then you want people to chant the name of this horrible god of sacrifice in order to obtain peace and understanding and decolonization when you're really insulting these, these tribes that they venerate these characters, but they also don't work. They worship the God of civilization, not the God of destruction. Uh, it's just very classical in, in terms of, um, in terms of one particular political ideology, uh, that is so pervasive and so perverse. And a lot of people vote for it because that's what they're concerned with. They are voting for the cult of Tezcatlipoca. I'm Ryan Gable. This is the secret teachings really quick. RD Gable at yahoo.com. 
tstradio at protonmail.com. Send me your emails. Leave us a review. It really helps. It takes you just maybe two, three minutes. Apple Podcasts or anywhere else reviews can be left. If you're listening to the show for free, subscribe to the show at thesecretteachings.info www.thesecretteachings.info Grab a copy of one of my books. I'd recommend Occult Arcana if you enjoyed tonight's show. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. And we will talk to you on the next broadcast. <laughs>